Swung on, hit in the air to deep right. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Welcome. A Stantonian home run. To the 161st Street Burgers Road Podcast. A Judgian blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Your host, Wesley Segundo, and you free ride. Hello, folks. This is episode three, pitching uh, season preview, which we will be covering both the starting rotation and the bullpen with your host, Wesley Segundo, Shukri Wright, and producer Ricky L. What's going on, everybody? What's going on, guys? Good afternoon. Now, here, we have a pitch and preview of what's to come as far as our rotation and our bullpen. Now, I do have to say, Ryan Cashman, he's, he did a good job, you know, adding towards the rotation, adding towards the bullpen. Now, what are we looking at? We're looking at two additions. Well, we're looking at a few additions, actually. Starting with the rotation. We just brought back Jay Haps, and we just acquired James Paxton in a trade two months ago for prospect Justice Sheffield. Now, as far as, as, far as our bullpen, we got Adam Ottavino, and we brought back Zach Britt. Looking at the roster, looking at the team, looking at what Cashman is doing, I have to say, decent job. Decent job. What do you think, Duke? But yes, as I was saying, I believe that Cashman has done a pretty good job overall um, helping booster this rotation, although this rotation still has question marks going into the regular season, but I think when you look at the staff as it currently is constructed with Severino, James Paxson, Masiro Tanaka, Sabathia, um, and, and, and just, just to name a few, I think overall, like this is this is a rotation that could um, play a very vital role for the for the success of the 2019 New York Yankees. So I think he's done a pretty good job overall. Just looking at it, um, coming from a short but no cigar season, it's it looks like it's gonna be fire firepower with us. Severino just been uh, extended to a four-year, $40 million contract, and deservingly so after what happened on arbitration. This, this puts an anchor to security on this. And what I mean anchor to security, well, you got your so-called ace, which is Luis Severino, and no doubt about it. Looking at Severino, last year to start off, he was having an amazing year. I mean, just his stats. Just the way he was playing, you would have thought he's going to be a freaking Cy Young candidate. And then later down the line, he got fatigued. He was tipping pitches. And then when we saw in the playoffs, we saw this like this hyperactive guy who was like losing control. That in that wild card game, it ended up being a bullpen game. Which I mean, we already knew that from the start. But regular season, Severino. You don't really have much to worry about except for the fatigue factor and the tip and pitches, which we hope he can improve, and I know he can improve. And he's a guy that you want down the line to be 
that like fear factor for the other opposing players. Shoe? The button's going to be an issue. In, the Go button. The, I'm trying. Um, <laughs> so, so like in terms of in terms of between the starting rotation and the bullpen, one thing I will say that that the health will absolutely be a key and a vital importance. And one thing that definitely has the curiosity on on my part, and as well as a lot of Yankee fans, is that they are going to keep an eye on the shoulder of a roller Chapman in the back end of the bullpen um, and, and making sure that he's able to sustain uh, the same level of velocity from the beginning of the season through the, through the end of the regular season, as well as that his performance does not dip. Now, with that being said, you look, you look at other components in, uh, in, in that bullpen as well. I think it's, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch and see how the Yankees will manage to load, um, especially early on, Give, given that if the if the starters can do their part to go deep into ball games, and I think I think it's going to be very important for the Yankees, especially early on, especially for the starters, to to ensure they can go at least six seven innings every night and not have to re- heavily rely on the bullpen early on in the season, which will bode bode well for them down the line, especially when we get to the dog days of August. Now the dog days of all of August is really much pretty pretty much the time that it's like all right time to get our shit together and we either take the division defend that lead or you fall back there's no other way there's no other way to say it i mean for the past 3 seasons or so we have seen a lot of yankees red sox at the top of the al least with those 3 seasons the yankees falling behind now what can they do everyone's saying pitching 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 okay so we got that pitching. We have that pitching now. I mean, let's talk about Luis Severino. The guy's 25. He's a right-handed pitcher. 6'2", 215 pounds. And a, a really prized possession. I mean, last two seasons, you know, going 14-6, and 19-8. The guy's picking it up. But he's having a little... A little bit of a whirlwind roller coaster with his um, with his ERA. Now, 2016, he was struggling a lot, and that's when that's why he went to the bullpen, and all of a sudden he got way better out of the bullpen. But ever since he started working with Pedro Martinez, his mechanics has gotten good. The guy's throwing heat, but honestly speaking, we don't want him to throw heat all the time. We want him to be that forefront face of that rotation. Just go out there, do your thing. Get guys out, put the ball in play if you have to, and still get guys out. Am I right, Shu? You are absolutely correct. And I think when it comes to Severino, his success is going to heavily, um, be heavily be relied on his ability to execute the secondary pitchers, especially his slider, because his slider was a story in the second half of the season as to why his ERA um, ballooned in, in the second half. Because he was not getting um, the bite that he was getting in the first half of the season with the secondary pitches, and and it hurt him dearly. And I think ultimately, when you talk about Severino and the success on in the, hopefully in the 2019 season, is that listen, we saw what he, what he what he can do in the first half of the season. It's now a matter of can he sustain that success throughout the entire duration of the regular season and the postseason as well. So that's something that I think now with that experience, it'll be 
fascinating to watch Severino if he can make that adjustment, um, not just mechanically, but also, but as well as being able to ensure that he is more aggressive with his secondary position, his slider, his his changeup, and 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 be able to um, to attack hitters and and have success to have success, especially considering that he has a, a high strikeout rate. Um, is, 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 one, is, one, is one of the best in, in the American League. So I think for a guy who relies heavily on his strikeout and he has strikeout stuff, he is going to need to establish consistency from, from the early beginning of the season through, through the end in order to ensure that the Yankees uh, are able to ensure success in terms of the, um, the pitching overall. That is true. And what is the – what is his – what is the pitch that he he really needs to rely on that he needs to throw more so you can tell the fans again? It's the, it's the slider, but that's not the only thing. It's the slider and the changeup, but it was a slider that was that was being hit the most. And when you go back and look at the the pit the, the pitches that he was getting habit off that the hitters that had the most success from the slider the slider was right was right up there. Because, yeah. because remember, if you if you watch his starts closely, it's the fast the fastball velocity has never been an issue. It's the it's when you're not getting that on getting that um that, that swing and miss rate on, on from that slider and as well as the secondary pitches. That's that's when major league hitters who are the best hitters in the world they're able to make the necessary adjustments to catch up to the 97, 98, 99 mile per hour um, heat. So you can't just you can't just be a fastball thrower in the major leagues. You got to be able to have pretty pretty solid um, secondary stuff to be able to get get hitters out. And you don't want to give away your predictability too. That's another problem with with uh, exactly. Luis Severino that he had last year. As we know, he got fatigued and he ended up um, tipping his pitches. That's the last thing you want to do as a pitcher because you got to remember the game of baseball is all based on probability strategy. You can't really predict anything. But if you do predict something in baseball, you're already going to know what to do. And that's just bad. That's just bad if you're on the opposite receiving end. Now, Ricky, let's talk about Luis Severino's numbers. 2017 and 2018. He actually threw in tops of the majors last year 3,100 pitches thrown throughout the 2018 season which I kind of find as alarming because his numbers for last year was 191 and a third innings, uh, 173 hits, 76 total runs, gave up 19 bombs. Opponent's batting average was 238, had 220 strikeouts with a 19 and 8 record, 339 ERA. Uh, the year before, he threw only a shade under 3,000 pitches. Uh, 14 and six record with a 2.98 ERA, 31 starts, 193 and one third innings. So two more innings basically than uh, 2018. Uh, 230 in strikeouts. Opponent's batting average was 208. Uh, 51 walks compared to the 46 of last year. And then to also break that down, and what I also see is the home and away splits. You guys ready to hear about this? Sure. Okay. So home games and away games, right? Home games, he's 10 and 2 with a 274 ERA. Uh, 15 games started and 74 hits, 28 earned runs, 8 home runs, 22 walks. 
of his strikeouts. It doesn't say. And away games, he is 9-6, and six, right? You guys want a better breakdown, too? Well, we have here, the one thing that you really, I, really is the kind of the concern, again, is that first half to second half split. Yeah, I'm also looking at that right now. Uh, where April says, was at 3.06 ERA, May 2.03, June 1.6. And then the slide starts to happen after the All-Star game. Uh, 500 record with a 6.58 ERA, August 4.86 ERA. Um, only started four games in September with a 3.98 ERA. So his pre-star, his pre-all-star was 2.31 free and ERA, 14 and two record with 20 games started. Post-all-star, five and six with a 5.57 ERA, and that's pretty much going to be your alarming stat. Yeah, and also look at this one at night games, right? You know how I mentioned day games, he's nine and one. With a 2.76 ERA, right? Mm-hmm. Night games, he is 10 and 7 with a 3.69. So let me ask you a question. When it comes, let me ask both of you this question. When it comes to playoffs, would it benefit him if he was to start a day game as compared to a night game? Well, that's the problem with Major League Baseball because you're going to have all majority of your games at night. There are no day games, basically, unless you're in the it's National rare. League. It's rare, and on top of that, like if you look at the games, even if you can go back to last year and even in previous years, you have one or one game that'll be like a four o'clock start, or depending if you're pitching in a division series, for example, and you and you're pitching away, and especially if it's the first Friday in October, there's a chance that that'd be an afternoon game, but it's very rare. It doesn't happen often, where where I think Major League Baseball should really, tr- until you get to the World Series, get back to having, get back to having the, that afternoon, afternoon postseason game. Now I want I want to use it as a quick example. Now in 20, 2017, the division series for the Red Sox and the Red Sox and Astros. This is, this is twenty seventeen. I'm talking about. They yes. had an afternoon game. Actually, if my memory serves me correctly, I believe this was like a, three, like a two or three o'clock p.m. start. This is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. Like where Major League Baseball, I feel like could have been actually benefited, especially if it's like a if a Friday or even last year. No, sorry, not last year, but 2017 LCS game two. It was a 3:30 start on Fox. Going back to afternoon postseason games, but it doesn't happen all the time. But it's rare. But they should. They should. And just looking at this, right, on the two wildcard games, 2017, he's got an 81.00 ERA. Which is, a little, uh, which is a little obscene. Yeah, and a win-loss record of none because obviously they went to the bullpen early. And the same thing with 2018. But except with 2018, he's got a zero ERA. I mean, as far as 2017, the average, the batting average is an 800. So that's that's alarming right there. And then 2018, you got a .133 average. Then the career-wise, it's a .300. Alarming, should I say? Or is it just... Concerning. No, it's it's concerning, but I wouldn't be overly alarmed because you got to remember, it's a small sample size. If we're talking about a pitcher 
who has four or five years of postseason experience, then yeah, I'd be oh, I'd be pretty concerned. But we gotta remember, he just pitched only in the second postseason, so he's still yeah. learning. He's still learning as he goes. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. I think he'll want the older he gets and the more experience he gets pushing in the postseason. I think it'll it'll even itself out. So I'm not worried about it at all. Now, let's look at our number two guy, Masahiro Tanaka. Age 30 is our secondary guy. Sometimes could be our third guy, but when he when it comes to the playoffs, you know, I mean, he's just a fucking Beast. I mean, there's no other way I can say it. When you have postseason Tanaka versus regular season Tanaka, postseason Tanaka is the way to go. A guy who's who's been very serviceable, but the the things that alarm me is the amount of home runs that he gives up per game, and like sometimes even off the first pitch, which can piss me off. Um, his last two years, Ricky, 2017, he was 13 and 12 with a 4.74 ERA. 30 starts, one complete game shutout, 178 in the third innings. We had 41 walks, 194 strikeouts, 257 opponents batting average with a whip of 1.24. Then you got 2018 with a 12 and 6, 375 ERA, 27 starts, another complete game shutout, 156 innings pitched, 35 walks, 159 in strikeouts, opponent average of 240. And a whip of one thirteen. Shoot. What's with Tanaka? He's he's a guy in which that at one point when he first came to the Yankees, he was a guy in which that you could basically say, you know what? He wasn't a fly ball pitcher. He was he he knew how to get the strikeout, but at the same time, he also had the knack of being able to get ground balls when he needed. But because since he had that the small tear in his use in, 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 in his uh, in his UC, UCL, basically it has impacted the movement on some of his pitches and, the, and his velocity has gone down. So as a result, he's become a bit more hittable. Quite frankly, a lot more hittable, especially when you talk about a guy who, whom in which that at w- at one year he gave up he he gave, he gave up thirty six home runs. So. When you pitch at Yankee Stadium, as as we all know this, you have to be able to pitch, uh, pitch low in the zone and keep the ball in the ballpark because, especially if you're, if you're facing power left-handed hitters with the short porch and right, that's absolutely going to impact your, um, your, your performance, and especially your ERA. So I think with Tanaka, he going into this year, I think his health and his ability to stay healthy throughout the season is going to be paramount, especially th- that the Yankees need that second that's that second um, starter behind behind San Marino in the rotation, and without without the success of and the longevity of Tanaka, the Yankees are gonna ha- definitely gonna have some trouble unless unless um, someone from within can step up and fill and fill in that role. But hopefully, it doesn't have to get to that point. Just looking at it, I agree with everything you say, and like with Tanaka, you know what you're getting, but it's just the injuries is just. It's just a, it's just alarming. It's, I mean, thing is, we need him to like stay healthy. But this is why there's, you know, there's death. This is why the Yankees can have some guys who can swing in on there, and which we're gonna get to that. And now that I'm looking at the death chart, which is uh, verified today, March fourth, 
it looks like Paxton is going to be the number two guy, which we will talk about next and get into then. Well, here's here's one little nugget that a lot of people do not know about Masahiro Tanaka. Okay, yeah. Now, he did, before coming to the New York Yankees, pitch seven seasons over in, in Japan. Japan. Now, his win-loss record was 99-35. and 35. He pitched 1,315 innings, okay, 53 complete games. That is alarming. 18 shutouts. He gave up 66 home runs, 1,238 strikeouts. Uh, the walks, he had 275. 1,300 innings before coming to the majors, and you pitched in 53 complete games. Wow. That is alarming. And that's out of 175 complete games played in Japan. So if a lot of people don't understand why this UCL tear is a huge deal, in seven years you've thrown that many complete games and that many innings, that will tear your arm apart. That will tear your arm apart, especially um, a lot of people uh, make, make the comparison of the balls. Which they do say that uh, the balls in Japan, no uh, negative uh, thoughts intended. Um, the balls, the baseballs in Japan are actually pellets compared to um, the baseballs in America. And, and the mound height is a difference of two inches. Yeah, it's funny you say um, two inches above or below. I believe the mound is shorter in Japan than it is in the United States. Okay. Because also- it actually, no, it actually is. No, no, it, it actually is. I, re- like I remember reading something about what when you do, remember when you Darvish came over to the states from Japan in 2012. Yeah. Um, like he, I remember, remember reading about it somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. Um, about the difference between the mound in Japan and versus the, the versus Major League Baseball. Now, keep in mind that not not getting sidetracked, they haven't lowered the mound in Major League Baseball since 1968, and that was the the, the legendary year of the pitcher where you had the lowest regular season, a single season ERA by Bob Gibson, as well as the last 30-game winner in the major leagues um, as well. So there is a difference between the mounds between J- in Japan and as well as the United States and Major League Baseball specifically. Now, as we speak about the mounds, did you guys hear that uh, Major League Baseball is considering the option of lowering the mound a little bit to try to help the prevention of Tommy John in, uh, injuries that occur? To honestly tell you, lowering the mound isn't the reason why Tommy John is happening. Okay. okay. Now, I can understand the fact of difference in training. A lot of people like to do a little bit more weight training than stretches and vice versa. Or they change their method that's saying muscle is better than being a limp noodle. Back in the day, now, I was just having this discussion with a friend about like guys like Bob Gibson and stuff who are guys that weren't pampered, guys that would throw until their arms fell off, threw with blisters, etc. Now, uh, guys today, I feel, have been kind of babied, uh, where they throw 90 pitches in five innings, and they're like, okay, I'm done, I'm not doing anything, I'm going to earn my 15, 16 million, and I'm going to go home. Now, I totally disagree with that idea. I think pitch count is kind of a BS thing. And if the training were different, 
where guys weren't putting on an extra 10% worth of muscle, then a lot of the times these arm tears wouldn't happen. That's an amazing point you bring up, but I got to ask you this, right? Ricky, you are a Mets fan, right? Yes, but overall, I do follow baseball, period. Yeah. I mean, you have two of the premier pitchers in your rotation. This is why I, you know, I said, like, you are a Mets fan, right? Yes. Okay. Um, it seems like, I mean, Syndergaard, who is like your, uh, I guess, your 1B yeah. as compared to DeGrom, who's 1A, right? Yes. A guy who throws at a high velocity, tall. I mean, I've seen him a few times going to City Field because I'm a baseball fan myself. Sometimes people invite me to a baseball game and, you know, I'll check it out. I do like to see the Cardinals sometimes because one of my favorite players is Yadier Molina. I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, I notice how Syndergaard pitches. The guy's strong. I mean, we can see it. The guy's jacked up. He's strong, long hair, looks like a guy who, who probably rides off on a fucking horse and picks some chick up with a fucking shield. He puts that extra push in his pitches. What is, like, what is your concern as far as, like, what can lead him to freaking Tommy John? Well, You mentioned the pitch count. Well, right? this, this is for this is Tommy John has been always been a big issue. Now we've had recent pitchers, for example, and these are again not just a list of Mets. All right, um, you can include Tanaka in this because they've already logged. He's already logged a ton of innings. Okay, if you go back about four years ago, uh, there was a guy that came up with the Washington Nationals. His name was Steven Strasburg. Yes, uh, again, big power pitcher. Uh, has a lot of torque on the arm. However, maybe training or a change in his delivery may have prevented uh, that elbow from blowing out. Uh, four years ago, again, you also think about guys like Matt Harvey, who, again, 95-plus fastball, one of the hardest sliders, and he tore his elbow up and was gone for a considerable amount of time. Now, going back, if you if you look at it through... Let's say the like even before the minor leagues, college, little leagues, whatever. Everybody is always pushing a fastball, which is always a bonus. However, it's when they add secondary pitches at an early age is where the tear on the arm happens. Now you can't teach a six-year-old a curveball because their development is still not there, muscular-wise and tendon-wise, in order for that to last the duration of time. Normally, in coaching, you don't teach secondary pitches until you're at least a minimum of a junior or senior year in high school or as you're going into college. That, at that point, will prevent a lot of tear on the arm, and technique with torque is what prevents that from happening. Now, guys like Syndergaard, yes, there is a lot of torque because his slider comes out at like 90 miles an hour. But again, the strain on the arm is where that happens. You mentioned the um, the curveball, right? Correct. Because I'm of, looking at the I'm looking of, at the pitch repertoire of um, Tanaka. It says his slider goes at 84, splitter goes at 87, four seam 92, a cutter at 90, sinker at 91, and a 77 mile per hour curveball. See now the 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 value to that is is this is that when you're throwing a pitch, specifically a curveball or a circle change or a change, 
you're supposed to actually take something off of the ball, which means you're taking the strain of the torque off of your arm. Now, 84 doesn't sound like an alarming amount of speed. Believe it or not, it still technically is. But when you're going from a difference of 84 to 90 plus, that's where you're going to get more torque on the pitch than you would with an off-speed pitch. And that is the only reason why Tanaka's arm is being saved at this point, because he's actually throwing a lot more off-speed than he is throwing the harder stuff. Now to break down what would be considered off-speed. Curveballs, change-ups, circle changes, a very rare pitch, the knuckle curve, which Jason Isringhausen was notorious for uh, going into his Cardinals career. Um, a sinker actually can be thrown off speed. That's basically it. I mean, there's there's quite a few pitches that you're going to be able to throw off speed, but uh, sliders are going to be a, a hard pitch. Fastballs, whether it be two-seam or four-seam. Splitters are always thrown hard due to the uh, spin on the ball off the pitch. But that's basically it. I mean, that, that, that's the only reason why Tanaka at this point is lasting so long with that tear is because he could throw the off speed. No, yeah. okay. no, you're I, I'm still here. Okay. I was uh, marinating everything you say. So we're looking at this, right? So should Tanaka get rid of any of his pitches? I disagree. If, I, I, I don't. I absolutely don't agree not. With, I, I, if off speed is going to, what's going to get him through, then that's what you stay with. Okay. Because you know, we mentioned his uh, UCL, his elbow is a little shaky as it is. It's not only that, but, you know, we also got problems with, with his hamstring. But a lot of people talk about his elbow. Now, to save your elbow, I mean, it seems like the curveball is like the main, or should we say the scapegoat, to what leads to Tommy John. Should Tanaka throw everything else and just throw the curve less and just stick to his slider too as his like main his main thing. That's my question. Well, I, I'm I'm not gonna jump. I, I guarantee you, Shu will probably agree on this. And uh, I mean, let's 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 bring up CC for example. I mean, uh, we'll jump around on the the starting rotation a little bit. The last few years, because of his injuries, he's had to legitimately change his game. So he's not throwing 95 plus anymore. He's actually varying his pitch selection to be able to get him through games. And that's what's saving CeCe's career at this point. Because if you can't blow the ball past somebody at 95, you're going to end up changing your pitch selection, even if it takes learning a new pitch, to be able to survive in the majors. Absolutely. And that would, that's been the key of why Sabathia has been able to stay in the major league since 2013. Because remember, 2013 is when... He started having problems in terms of the performance as well as injuries. So that was one of the big things that he had to learn was how to throw that cutter. And Wesley, he learned how to throw that cutter from whom? It was from Mario Andy Pettit. Rivera. Oh, no, Andy Pettit. Yeah, it was. Pettit. It, yes. it, was it was. It was actually My Andy mistake. Pettit. And 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 interestingly enough, he had to learn to say, "Hey, you know what? He's not the 95, 96 mile power thrower that he was when he first came to New York." Like he was in 09, where his fastball was 95, 96, occasional 97. So it goes to show you that when you're back in that transition, you have to be able to throw that, that change up, that sinker, that slider, be able to locate your pitches, your breaking stuff, because the velocity is no longer there. 
and, you know, and there's plenty of examples of guys who who weren't necessarily the hardest throwers, but they were able to locate their stuff with uh, with, with great command, and none more better than that than Greg Maddox. Maddox was never a guy who threw 95 to 97 miles per hour. No, and 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 Wes, un unfortunately, I I wish you I wish you were old enough to remember Maddox at his absolute greatest. I'm talking about late mid late 90s when he was when he when he truly was on top of his game. And Ricky, obviously, you remember this for many years on watching the Braves and Mets clash in the late 90s, especially when when the Mets were competing for postseason spots. Man, Actually, you got to tell everybody I'm that young. God damn you. All right. Well, I can actually tell Sorry you, about even, that. <laughs> even before the whole him going to the Braves deal, seeing him pitch in a Cubs uniform and the mastery that he used to do in the on the Cubs was just completely obscene. Now, to actually have a guy throw off speed or even heat on the black of the plate, looking like a big swerve and cutting the corners like that was just simply artistically masterful and nothing we had ever seen before or since and, and it was, he was a guy that if depending on the umpire that they had if it was an up and down zone that's what Maddox was able to do and especially with off speed same thing with a, a guy who has a wide strike zone he was able to cut the ends of the out of the the inside and the outside part of the plate with such masterful tech uh, technical stuff and a lot of it, again, was a lot of off-speed. He was able to mix and match his pitches perfectly. I mean, I was able to see Greg Maddox late in his career, but even late in his career, he was still like, he was still Greg Maddox. I mean, along with uh, Tom Glavin as well. Um, who's the other guy I'm thinking of? I, uh, I see him on... Yes, John Smoltz. There we go. I mean... Even better. Looking at that rotation, like with the Atlanta Braves had in the '90s, it was just like a fucking pick your poison. But you know, we were able to solve them in the '90s. But it's no doubt that the point is, you don't have to throw hard to get guys out. You can throw off-speed pitches and still get guys out. The well, bad thing, the bad thing about nowadays with uh, developing pitchers is like if you throw a hundred. That's like what everybody wants to fucking see just to go to a ball game. It's just like um, the strike, like the post-94 strike. What everybody came back to see, home runs, guys who were taking steroids, hitting home runs, all this other stuff. Nowadays, if you see a guy throw 100, like a starting pitcher, that's like the home run for the crowd. And it shouldn't have to be that way, should it? No. No, I, I don't. I, I at some points, you know, and this this will probably be for another episode. But to honestly tell you, seeing a guy throw a hundred versus a guy who who could hit the ball four hundred and fifty feet, yeah, those are the matchups you want to see. However, again, I can kind of say I'm a purist when it comes to the game and the way that the game is being played and the it, the meteoric rise of how the game they're trying to reinvent the wheel and in some ways you do it in some ways you don't it's hard to watch a game these days only because of that fact yep but sure. one, one of the re one of the reasons why i do go to games is because of pitching though oh, okay i mean i go for the complete shit you know what i mean 
We need to bring back freaking base brawls, man. And get rid of the the unwritten rules. I would actually like to see a bat flip from time to time. I mean, because if pitchers can freaking celebrate after a big strikeout, batters should fucking celebrate after a big home run. Now, to our next guy. Oh, Canada. Your son in our native oh, land. Oh we got an extra supply of maple syrup with the big maple in the big apple. Our newest addition, James Paxton. On November 20th, 2018, left-handed starter James Paxton was brought to the Yankees from the, Mar- from the Mariners in a package of Justice Sheffield, Eric Swanson, and Don Thompson-Williams. I mean, if Cashman didn't wait it out, and here's the thing. Cashman actually waited this out because the Astros were actually close to a deal for James Paxton to add to their rotation, which would have been deadly. But they refused to send their number two prospect for us, Whitley. Shoe? For Paxton, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see how he'll fit in in the, Yankee, in the Yankee rotation. But the number one thing I want to see out of Paxton this year more than anything else is... Can he pitch? Can he make thirty starts? Can he throw? Can he throw two hundred innings, or at least around one ninety two hundred? He is yet to hit either one of those benchmarks over a course of a full major league season. And for me, I'm a guy that judges starting pitchers by these by, by these three qualities: Can he can he throw two hundred innings? Can he be a can he, can he be a workhorse? That's number one. Number two. Can he make 30 starts? Can he be a reliable guy that's going to take him out every every fifth day? And number three, can he effectively get major league hitters out? That is something that I look at very, very carefully. And I am a person who I, I believe that for Paxton, if he is going to have success in New York, he has to be able to hit all three. It's really that simple. Ultimately, you are judged on what can what can you do on a consistent basis. Now, if for Yankee fans that don't know much about James Paxton, here's something that here's something that you should look at. This is a guy who, for the the most the most games he started in a season was 28, and that was yeah. last season. That was last season. The he last season, maybe about 26. Yeah, to about, like 2014, he had 13 games started. 2015, 13 games started. 2016, 20 games started. I'm sorry, 2015, 13 games started. 2017, 24 games started. But that was also the year he had the best ERA um, uh, in, 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 this, in the regular season in his career at 2.98. Yeah. And last year, 28. So now, my main thing is, can he stay healthy? We know the kind of stuff that he has. Remember, yeah. folks, he threw a no-hitter last year in Toronto against the Toronto Blue Jays. In his home With, country. In, 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 his home, in his home country. So, so, that, so that goes to tell you that, listen, like, if you go back to watch some of his videos, his starts from last year, he, the stuff is there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a matter of can he consistently put it together and be a big factor and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and now with 
coming to a market with supersized expectations, and he and if the Yankees are going are going to compete for a World Series title this year, he's going to have to be a big reason for it. And I think he can. But my number one thing is his is his his ability to keep the walk rate down while maintaining the high strikeouts per nine. Because remember, the last two years his strikeouts per nine have been were, were ten point three two. That's 2017 and last and, and last season, 11.68, where it went up. And his walk rate went down as well last season from 2.45 in 2017 to 2.36 in 2018. That's my, that's going to be my, my, my main concern. As long as he can stay healthy and be consistent, I think I think it'll be a it'll be a dynamite move for the, for the Yankees this season and next season. Well, here's a here's another uh, stat that I'll I'll pull out for you, and. He does really well with outrunners on base. However, uh, there are some alarming ERAs with runners on second and third. That's a 22 ERA. Runners on first and third, a 31 and a half ERA. And this is everybody's always uh, Achilles heel. A 27 ERA with the bases loaded. Uh, those. So if he doesn't really keep, yeah. if he really doesn't keep runners off base. He's going to end up giving up a lot of runs. So, and that's a concern because now Wesley, as you know, when you pitch in the American League, it's more times than not you are going to have runners on base. Yeah, you are. And, and, if, and, and if not, I mean, the AL East is just a home run division. I mean, exa- I'm sorry exactly, exactly. Which is why, if he is going to have any success in New York, he has to be able to change that. He has to be able to pitch with guys with on runners at first and second or second and third. With, with two outs or even less than two outs. Cause and that, cause, and another, here's another stat. Uh, first and third inning ERAs uh, for his career, an ERA of five in the first inning and an ERA of almost seven in the third inning. Wow. Wow. And you guys want to hear his uh, pitch selection? Yes. Okay. He always relies primarily on his forcing bat, uh, fastball. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. 96 miles per hour. He uses a curve, right? But using the grip of a knuckle curve at 82. Mixing in a cutter at 90. A sinker at 96. And there's a few occasions where he throws a changeup at 87, which a Rollish Chapman does. I mean, he has the pitch selection. I guess it's just... How he aligns this selection of the pitches will be his uh, key. Yes. I mean, it also says that uh, he throws his curve, like, extremely hard, which he did have an injury of Tommy John, right? Um, I'm not exactly sure about yeah, the, the Tommy John. I can tell I can you. I could, take, I, could, I could also take a look at that as well. But I, be, I believe at one point he did have um, have on, on Tommy John, as, but I, I'm going to double check to make sure. Because because he has he he has had injury problems throughout his career, like it's a it's, it's it really hasn't been an issue of being able to, um to be, be being able to perform. It's been a matter of being able to stay healthy as as we talked about. Actually, um here it is. So here's his transaction, his his transactions, his latest transactions. This goes back to 2017. You guys ready? Sure. Yes. All right. So May fifth. The Seattle Mariners, when he this is when Paxton was with the Mariners, he was put on the on the ten day disabled list with the left arm strain. May on August eleventh, he was placed on the T day disabled list with a strained left pectoral muscle. 
July 13th of last year, he was placed on a 10-day disabled list with the lower black, sorry, lower back inflammation. August 15th of last year, he was placed on a 10-day disabled list with a left forearm contusion. And that that's his injury, is his injury um history going back almost the last two years. So it okay. doesn't show that he's had any Tommy John, which which is fortunate. It's yeah. it's just it's just the other parts of his of his of his upper body that he's had problems with. Well, I mean, should it, should it alarm you that he throws his curve like extremely hard? Because we're looking at uh it says it throws at eighty two, but extremely hard. So I mean yeah, but the hard the hard mean? doesn't necessarily mean speed. It means more of snap and torque. Yeah. That would be the difference. Yes. So if you actually go into the if you actually uh, if you YouTube uh, James Pax James Pax's <coughs> curveball, you'll see that it has that ultimate twelve to six snap. So that 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 torque is there, but I can tell you from seeing the the injury list, a lower back inflammation could be anything. Uh, yeah. That could mean he didn't even stretch properly throughout the uh, the pregame warm up or whatever. A forearm contusion could be getting hit off the forearm with a fast with a batted ball. So technically, two of them are not really big deals. However, the pectoral muscle and the the forearm strain would be anything for concern. That's the only thing I could say about that. But I mean, otherwise, the other things are real basic injuries. They're not major. However, yeah. I mean, it does keep him off the mound. I mean, as I'm looking right now, all right, I'm looking at his forcing fastball, which is 95 to 97, which is a great A. He, he kind of gives that extra push like Syndergaard does, but except it's not going towards 100. I mean, if you look at it right now, Rick, um, let me see if I could send you a link. I can see it through Skype. You see it through Skype? Yeah, because you're sharing the screen somehow. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if I'm sharing the screen... All right, so just look at the video right now. Okay? You see how he throws that uh, forcing fastball? He has... He, yeah. He's, he, believe it or not, it's not close to Syndergaard because Syndergaard bends a lot more. His is more of that natural herky-jerky style of throwing the ball. And look uh, at his curveball now. And the curveball, let's see the uh, the arm torque there. Yeah, he's more of an over the top type. You see how that it's got that that break on the uh, the tail break on on the bottom of it as it's going through the zone. the the arms The arm slot is different when you're throw when he's throwing the curveball because he throws it more over the top. So the torque is going to be a lot different than the fastball because a fastball is more of a natural slingshot motion. The cutter, and then however, we got the cutter. The cutter may be a may be a little bit of a, uh, yeah. That's it, it's a fastball motion with a different grip. Uh, no real big change in the arm slot, so that's where the deception comes from. Yeah, I, that that the cutter is natural for him. So it's just like he he catapults it. Yeah, it's the herky jerky slingshot style motion. Um. Again, like the injuries that we, we, we talked about, not really a major thing. No, it's not. It, it's it's basic little 10-day deals, but those are the things that, for example, like a forearm contusion is a batted ball back through the box, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that's you really can't say very much more about that. I mean, you know, you really can't give a, a grade yet, but what would you gr- – grade this move that Cashman did for Paxton 
as a pre uh, preliminary grade? I'd go shoot on that. That's a good question. Um, wow, maybe a B for now. I mean, I was, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking B, B minus. Okay. I mean, for now, as a preliminary like, grade, right? Like, I mean, during the regular season, that could, that could, of, of course, change. But I would think going into the season, like, I would go, yeah, I'll just go with a B, just, just, just to be safe. But something is, I'm kind of leaning towards the B minus. But for Paxton, I feel, I, I feel that, like, I mean, luckily he hasn't had any major arm injuries like Tommy John, so that's good news. That's good. Tommy My only God, con- like, yeah, but, yeah. But my, my only concern is, okay, did he make any adjustments in the offseason to maybe to maybe figure out a way to remain healthy throughout the regular season? Because he came close to 30 starts. He, was, he fell short of 200 innings last season. I think ultimately for, uh, for, for Paxson, he is going to absolutely need to ensure – that he keeps the ball in the ballpark, because last because last season, believe it or not, which is which is amazing. Oh, let me think, just to tell think, you to think, to, to think about. You Neil mentioned Keith. last season about not keeping the ball in the ballpark, right? Right. Yes. I was at one of the games, one of the freaking games that he got pulled early because he gave up like multiple home runs in a game. I was there, and let me tell you why I was there because. I really hate Robinson Cano. Everybody knows that. But okay. Go back, Shu. Yeah, like the thing that concerns me is that last season he gave up 23 home runs. Now, mind you, the year before, he only gave up nine. Okay. So, so that dramatic spike in giving up, giving up the long ball is an area of concern, which, again, we, we, we've talked about how the ballpark factor absolutely matters when you're going from pitcher-friendly Safeco to, to, to more of a hitter's-friendly ballpark that is Yankee Stadium. That is a concern. Like, can he keep the ball in, in the ballpark? That's that's what I really want to see and, and be able to go from there and make that assessment. I mean, because it actually, you, you mentioned something about Safeco, right? Like, it's a huge difference. Yes, with the heavy, uh, with the heavy sea air, yes. Yeah, I mean, just looking at his splits, and I'm pretty sure that Ricky could see that too. Um, he's a five and four. When it comes to home games and in away games, he's six and two. Day games, he's two and three. And night games, he's nine and three. On grass, he is nine and six. On turf, he's two and zero. Oh. March eh, doesn't really do so well. April, he kind of picks it up. May is his best, like literally his best. He's three and zero, oh, one six seven. June, he's three and one, four nine seven. That's alarming. Uh, July two and two, two seventy eight. August one and one, five fifty four. September, he's one and one, four two nine. And it's just like the same thing with Severino. I mean, pre All Star, he's he's great. Post All Star, yeah. But you know what though, the ERAs are fairly similar. Yeah. But he, but usually those are around the times where, if there is an injury bugaboo happening, uh, you will get things like freaking a muscle pull here, a tweak there, etc. You've already logged innings. Your body's going to start to wear down a little bit, and if you're not in a pennant race, you're going to be pitching. Where if you are in a pennant race, guys like Severino, Tanaka, 
even now, let's say this year, Sabathia, they're going to get a blow. So yeah. you're going to, you're going to have that, that way of saying, okay, well, my numbers are going to be a little off kilter. If I miss a start, they skip a start. Uh, we had really shit weather throughout the season last year. So there were a ton of games that were either delayed or rescheduled. That's going to be also another effect that you also have to counter into. Yeah. Now, just looking at the top three that we have right now, like, do we fare well against Boston shoot? <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question because right now I'd say yes, but at the same time, I do have concerns in terms of the, the Yank, in terms of the Yankees and, and as well as the Red Sox. Now, on the, on the Yankee side of things, first, my concern with the Yankees is the top, the top of the rotation. Yeah, because if, because if you look at the top three for the Yankees right now, with with Severino, Tanaka, and Paxton, looks looks very good on paper. But when you also look at the top three in Boston, with Sale, Price, and Nathan Ovaldi, I think I think right now as it as it currently stands, I think it's even, I think it's even matched. And I and some people, someone would say, wait, how can you possibly say that it's even matched? I mean, Sale. Look at look at what he's able to do. Well, I'm sorry. The last two years, he's faded, either faded or he's had injury problems in the second half of the regular season because he can't stay healthy. Severino hasn't had that problem with the exception of his performance telling and telling in the second half of last season. Well, being fatigued and all like that. Be, be, oh. be, being, um, being fatigued and so forth. Yeah, but that's but but that's something that I feel like right now the Yankees and Red Sox are even killed in terms of pitching bullpen. Absolute edge right now goes to goes to the Yankees on paper, and I do emphasize for those for, for those that are listening, on paper, we have to wait and see how the regular season comes out. And if you look at the Red Sox, the, their bullpen has actually gotten worse. It actually got worse. They don't, remember, they don't have they, they don't have a closer. And, they don't and have to, Joe Kelly neither. And and here's the thing, guys. So today I was actually reading upon this, and as well as hearing this locally here in Boston. They're deciding on going with a close close on for committee, and this is what I this is what I was telling you one time, Wesley, that for a long term for a long stretch of the season, your 162 game marathon, it is very difficult to go with that to, to go go with that and think you're going to establish long term success for that bullpen, getting key critical outs late in games. Yeah. If you don't got a bullpen, I mean, you're, you're just wasting your starting rotation. And honestly speaking, you can't always rely on your offense. You really can't. Well, let's not let, – let's – are we going to dip into the bullpens kind of now at this point? I think we might, we might as well. Wes, what do you think? Yeah. Because I, I will say, though, yes, the Yankees did bring back Britain. Great. Because uh, he's got, got the experience. This is where my concern always lies, though. Is that again? For some reason, it's an anomaly that relief pitching. You can sign a guy like the Mets did last year uh, for like let's say two years, twenty-three million dollars. The guy was an ultimate flop. Now, my example is the Yankees bringing in Ottavino, and the the numbers vary from year to year. And the key example I have is twenty sixteen. One and three, two six seven ERA. That was thirty four games pitched out of the pen. 
2017, a two and three record, 506 ERA. Yes, it's 29 more starts or 20 more, 29 more games out of the pen, but 63 games, the batting average went up a whopping 60 points. Then last year, a 243 ERA, six and four record with 75 appearances out of the pen, batting average at 158. Is it the advantages of playing at Coors Field? Possibly. But relief pitching always isn't reliable, depending on what they did the year before. I mean, we'll see. I mean, another guy we also brought back, I mean, to the rotation would be James Hat. I mean, yes, James Anthony Hat. If you don't know who he is, he's Jay Hat. All right. Um, another deaf guy, another guy can need up innings. I mean, he did fairly well with us last year. Just a shitty postseason performance. I mean, Cashman did what he did best and brought him back for the next three years with a club option for a fourth. I mean, is there is there more to say about him? No. I mean, you know, he was split between two teams, and I'm, I mean, he. I'm pretty sure she will agree with it that even though yes, you have a young Severino, uh, Tanaka has some. Background, he has some of that older player leadership. CC the same thing, but Jay Happ has actually had the playoff experience the same way as CC has, and that's probably more of the reason why he's going to eat some innings and he's going to be able to teach the young guys some things. I mean, he hasn't. I mean, going over here um, to start off, he was ten and six with Toronto before he got traded for uh, Billy McKinney and. Um, Brandon Drury, and then when he came over here to the Bronx, I he handled the pressure well, regular season wise, going seven to zero and two six nine. Shoe for a guy like Jay Happ, I think if I think more than anything else, he has to be able to establish and maintain that level of consistency, in which he did. Because think about it, he went seven. Oh, this is the overall numbers from last season. He went seventeen and six, won seventeen games. Made 31 starts, ERA 3.65. Very good considering the division that he's pitching in. Yes. Which is good. Now, if you want to dive in further into the numbers, fair, fair enough, fine. With the Yankees, he was 7-0 in 11 starts with a 2.69 ERA for the Yankees. After being 10-6 with a 4.18 ERA pitching for the Blue Jays. The thing with, with, with Jay Happ, he's shown the ability to pitch in New York, which, 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 which was great. The only the only issue was that he didn't pitch well in Game One of the division series in here in Boston against the Red Sox. But overall, if you if to project ahead in terms of for the for the upcoming season, Hap is a guy that I think it's safe to say that you can rely on him for for, for twenty five to thirty starts. That that you can yeah. get twenty eight like twenty eight twenty nine thirty starts because if you look at the numbers over the last um excuse me over the last Four seasons, 2015, 31 starts. He, he, made, he, he made 31 starts in total. 2016, 32 starts. 2017, 25 starts. 2018, 31 starts. That's the kind of consistency that you needed. This is what I was pointing out earlier in terms of James Paxton. Being able to get that 20, 26 to 30, 30 starts average consistently on a, year, on, a, on a yearly basis. So I think it's safe to say that right now, 
he is one of the two guys in that ro- in, in that starting rotation that you could say that he is assured that he's going to make twenty seven to thirty one starts this upcoming season. The other one, the other one being Severino. Yeah, and now for our final guy on our rotation will be CC Sabathia, decorated pitcher for the Yankees for the last nine years. Eight, you know, eight innings pretty well. Been serviceable. Won a World Series his first year coming here, uh, along with the additions of Mark Teixeira and uh, A.J. Burnett, who was a fucking burnout. Uh, coming into his final year as both a major league ball player and a Yankee, I got nothing but good things to say about Sebastia. And also, too, he is getting that extra 500K that, you know, was not awarded to him last year. Well, that was supposed to be awarded to him last year if he went a full seven innings. Well, I again the only thing, the only concern with with CC is going to be health. Uh, he did have the heart procedure in the off season. This is why yes. they're not pushing him so much in spring training this year. Uh, again, getting an experienced guy through uh, is going to be pretty much a big thing for. Uh, the pitching coaches and the management to take care of because, again, you're going to have to pitch him, but make sure you pitch him sporadically at some points, especially if you want to get him to the postseason. However, I don't believe he's a guy that you're going to want pitching in a big game in the postseason uh, due to the fact that maybe he doesn't have the stuff that he had back in 2009 or 2013. But at the same rate, uh, I see a lot of good things for him pitching in his last season. A future Hall of Famer, too. Close to 3,000 strikeouts, shoe. I mean, what else can we say about CeCe? I mean, the ultimate pro and the guy that you want in that clubhouse full of, full of young guys. And I think more than anything else, like this, he's had one, one, one hell of a run here in, uh, with, with the Yankees. And I think more than anything else, CC is a. This is a guy. I mean, this is his swan. His swan year. This. This is his farewell. I think ultimately that it would be befitting, and I mean sincerely, it would truly be befitting if he could, in his career with the Yankees and in Major League Baseball, the same way that it began in New York, and that's by winning the World Series, his first year, and ending in his final year with a World Championship. That in itself. I think it would be, truly be the only way to befit a guy who truly, who truly had has had a remarkable career. In my opinion, I think he's a future Hall of Famer. And I think another thing with with Sabathia, I must add, is that you need that veteran presence in that rotation, and he is that guy. I mean, he he he's not the he's not the work the workhorse and the ace that he once was, but his experience and his ability to teach that and shit up with younger guys is going to be absolutely in, invaluable. And I think this season we'll, we'll see, we'll see a guy who will just will get, will go out there and, and give everything he's got. Cause he, cause, cause considering how much he's been to the Yankees of, over the last go into now his 11th season with the, with the New York Yankees. I mean, there's, you took the words right out of my mouth, Sue. I mean, there's, there's no other way you can, I mean, you can describe season. There's, I mean, for the last few years, He's he's been a guy that pitches with a lot less uh, velocity as he used to pitch back then. I mean, especially around like 2013 
and like 2012 where he was like, you notice because he dropped weight, his velocity went down. So now that he had the open heart surgery, things are changing. I mean, he's still going to be that serviceable guy. And as Ricky said, he's a guy that right now, he's in the tail end of his career. And this is a guy that can't go for like so long. You can make, at least give him maybe, you know, I don't know, like 10, like 10 starts and have like maybe guys like Loizaga and Chance Adams and Luis Sessa spot starts in his place. So then that way you preserve him for the playoffs. Am I correct? I, I definitely I, I agree. I, when you, especially if you're talking about preserving a guy and making sure that he that he can still be effective come October should the Yankees get there. I think it'll be fascinating to see how he is how he is going to be a factor, especially down the stretch. Especially down the stretch and when, when the games become even more important and especially in the second half of the season where you're gonna have a lot of divisional games in a second half, but none more, even more in particular against the Red Sox. So I think for Sebastian, especially for the Yankees, if, if I'm Aaron Boone and, and the rest of the pitching staff, I was, and, and the rest of the coaching staff, excuse me, like you, ha, you, you had to do your due diligence and make sure that, that he is healthy and is ready to roll um, through, um, throughout the season, especially starting, starting opening day in just a few short weeks. I mean, yeah. There's no other way to put it, and I hope that uh, knowing that this is CC Sebastian's um, final season, I hope that I'll be able to um, get at least like a quick interview that I could put in here for our viewers, which is going to be a hard thing, but hopefully I could do that. I mean, I did shoot him a message on Instagram. Hopefully he answers and sees it, and I'll be able to put it because you know this is this is a uh, this is his final year. And soon we are going to do an episode dedicated to CeCe Sabathia and about CeCe Sabathia. I mean, there's no other veteran clubhouse leader like him along with Brett Gardner. Now, to the bullpen. To the bullpen. So we are going to go with Chad Green. Chad Green. For his his limited three years in the, uh, the majors... Uh, the numbers are the numbers are a little staggering. I understand when you're first getting into the majors, uh, you're gonna have some starts. You're gonna have relief appearances as well. Again, th- th- Chad Green was one of those guys in 2016 that was actually able to give some starters a blow, whether it be an injury, uh, fatigue, etc. Uh, let's. Uh, he had a five and zero record in 2017 with 40 games out of the pen. Well, 40 games total. He did have one start. 69 innings, gave up 14 runs, 4 bombs, 17 walks, 103 Ks, opponent's batting average of 147. Last year, he was 8-3 with a 2-5 ERA, 63 games pitched. We had 9 bombs, 21, 22 total runs, 15 walks, 94 Ks, with an opponent batting average of 229. I mean, he is one of our forefronts of our bullpen. I mean... He made his name known in the 2017 playoffs, and Shu can tell you that. He's, he's been a, a very invaluable weapon for the Yankees in the, in the, out of the bullpen in the postseason. But what's impressive is that people forget that he did start eight games in 2016, but that was almost three years ago where since 2017, he's been for, uh, basically full-time out of the bullpen. 
and, and combined in the last two seasons, he's pitched 103 games out of the bullpen exclusively, with the exception of one game in which in which Ricky mentioned that he um, that that one game was a start as well. So if I am I am the Yankees, this is a guy who has proven his worth coming out of the pen as a as another arm that can, that, that has unbelievable stuff, great breaking ball, explosive fastball, and when you consider them, the, the, when you look at the arms as a collective unit for the New York Yankees, Chad Green, I think, has one of the best stuff overall for a reliever in that bullpen. And I know what I'm saying a lot, considering you have guys like Adam Adovino with, with that, that famous wicked slider that he has, and, and, and Chap, not, yeah, Chapman with this, this fastball slider combination, as well as Betances with his fastball. And fastball, occasional changeup. I think Chad Green is a guy who, if you could bring in the sixth, seventh inning, he he does a terrific job, like f- facing right-handers in, in, in particular, and 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 the, and the number shows that he that he seemingly has like better numbers overall, like f- facing right-handers versus um, versus um, versus left left-handed pitching. Which, which is interesting enough. But I will say this, though. I will say that for some reason last season, the one concern that I did have was that hitters seemed to be hitting the ball a lot more harder off green than, than, than the previous two seasons. I'm going to give you an actual example. Chad Green, on the, the exit velocity for hitters, for those that are into city metrics, facing a guy like Chad Green, was an average of 91 miles per hour in terms of how hard the ball was coming off the bat. As compared to 2017, where it was 80, 83, 89.3, in 2016, it was 27, it was 87.8. So that goes to show you that for some reason, they, they, they seem to be getting a better read on him. So I'll be, I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of adjustment that he could make and making sure that he can use his, his swing and miss stuff more because... His strikeouts went down last season, Wes. He yeah. only had he only went he only had 94 strikeouts as compared to 103 strikeouts he had in 2017. Well, just looking at it, I mean, what could be the issue? I mean, as I'm like looking at his highlights, um his he has like a halfway spin rate. You don't understand what I mean by a halfway spin rate. Should I elaborate on that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yes, go so ahead. So what I mean by a halfway spin rate. Is you know when pitchers throw a ball, right? And it spins all the way. Yes. Okay. As soon as it hits one part of the plate, like over the plate, as soon as it's about to get over the plate, it stops spinning. It just goes straight. So maybe that could be the issue of why Chad Green gets hit hard at. I, I also at some point I'm looking at this this in the in the regular season stats. Uh, there were times that he was used in situations last year where it may have not been the right situation for Boone to have used him. Uh, because it does say here that he did have four save opportunities and blew all four saves. So at some point, maybe it's where he's being used in comparison to how he's being used. Well, that being said, as you pointed out, Ricky, which it is true, I mean, he is not closing material. He is more of a long reliever. And when I mean a long reliever, 
a guy that can be a relief pitcher for like let's say the third inning up until the sixth inning and then you bring your other guys in he's best as a long reliever and as we see and in the playoffs he has proved to be well-rounded as a long reliever well the only the only one blip on the uh radar for him was the cleveland indians game uh in 2017 where he did only get only pitch a third of an inning gave up Three runs on two hits, one of them a home run. But otherwise, his postseason numbers have been completely solid for him. And again, if, if, if he's one of those guys that can come in, for example, I believe he came in after the Severino blow up a few years ago. And yes, he did. Shut the door down. Then I, I, I don't see him more as the long relief, uh, spot start, or maybe like that stop the bleeding type guy coming out of the pen. Which is going to be good for the Yankees because if uh, again you see Severino run into an issue, Sabathia. You mentioned a home run, right? Yes. Okay. He gave okay. up all. No, I'm looking at it. I'm trying to remember who he gave up the home run to in uh, against Cleveland. But in the, the game, playoffs, right? But it was in Cleveland in 2017. It was the October 16th. Okay. Uh, I think that was Game Two. Yeah, it doesn't say here on the on the thing, but it okay. does. But it does list that home run the way he had the blow up inning. Okay, but so, otherwise his 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 postseason numbers are solid. Okay, to talk about that home run right there, real quick. At that point, the game was eight three. Okay, he gave up a walk there, and I think this is this is the call where it should have been challenged, where a lot of Yankee fans were already calling for the firing of. Um, Joe Girardi, I was one of them, and I will admit that. Isn't that right, you? The home run that absolutely, was, you know, I, I was uh, Francisco. Yeah, to, 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 yeah, and I was I was one of them as well. Um, and I mean, I remember the the amount of anger that I felt after that game, and especially considering how it all unfolded. Like, um, it was unfortunately a, a man a manager's gaffe or mishap at literally the worst time for it to happen. So I am. I mean, now, obviously, I mean, time has moved on and time has passed, but it was definitely a lesson learned where, like, you have to, not, not getting too far off topic here, but but this is one of those, you have to do your due diligence. It's imperative. It is absolutely imperative that you do your due diligence and as well as to ensure that you give your team a best chance to win. Yep. And now on to our next guy. Our next guy will be... Jonathan Holder. All right, you didn't list that one. <laughs> I got, I know, I got Britton, Sessa, Chapman, and Ottavino. All right, let yeah, me up. we're bring, we're doing who now? Uh, uh, Jonathan Holder. He's one that we're not going to uh, talk much about because he's more like a spot reliever now that um we we have Ottavino, very serviceable guy. Uh, can be shaky at times. From what I've seen, both on TV and in person, I mean, there's not there's not much bad I can talk about. He's he doesn't have blistering numbers. Yeah, the the walk to the walk to strikeout ratio, it's a little bit almost uh, three to one on strikeouts to walks. Uh, his velocity is is usually one of those issues. Uh, he did have a start. He's pitched in sixty games last year. Okay, the win-loss record, not that particular great, but 
His number again. His numbers are not eye blistering numbers, but they're fairly decent for a guy who's only got three years service in the majors. Yeah, I mean he's not going to be one of those shock and awe guys if you catch my drift. Shoot. No, he won't be. But I. But ultimately, for a guy like Jonathan, um, for Jonathan Holder, all you're asking for is for him to, to is to for him to do his part, and. Although he has, although he has, um, has had some success last year coming out of the bullpen, on, uh, coming out of bullpen for sixty games, he did he did have one start. I think that Holder is is a, is a guy who who who, sh- who has shown that he has the ability to um, to to perform uh, to perform in any role that's needed, and as well as more importantly. To, to be able to give the Yankees bullpen depth and options, especially if, if a guy like Batances and and Green can't go, he can come in and do the job admirably and, and, and do it well. So I think I think overall, when you talk about a guy like Jonathan Holder, like he he has the ability to be able to um, to, to, to get to get key left handers out. And his, and his stuff plays very well to it. He's all, he's only really used for left-handed situations. And now that you have the additions of Ottavino and um, and the re-addition of Britain, you won't see him as much unless, you know, those guys are not available. Because there is times at baseball where you can't use uh, relievers for a certain amount of games after a certain amount of games. Exactly. And then also... And it's, it is, it's, I mean, his numbers do show that he, that he he does have better success against right-handers than lefties, but at the same time, he has shown the ability to be able to get, uh, to to get left-handers out as well. I mean, his I mean, his ERA against right-handed hitters are are, are actually two point eight six versus left-handers, which kind of blooms up to three point four five. Not bad, but still, there is a there is a considerable difference. It's not shocking at all. Our next guy, let's talk about Adam Ottavino, a guy from Brooklyn, just came over from the Colorado Rockies. Um, he's like our third closer in, in this team right now behind uh, Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. I mean, there's not, I'm not expecting much of him, but he can do well. And... Cashman struck gold, as I can say again. Cashman struck gold. Shoot, I think he did strike gold, and I think it was a it was a very, a very good deal that the Yankees were able to um, get to get Adam Adovino. I think when you go back and you look at look at some of his numbers, and even watching some of the games that he pitched for the Rockies last season, that he is an absolute weapon out of the bullpen. That this is a guy who has shown the ability to be able to to, to get key outs. The the area of concern that I do have is that it is over usage. Yeah. Because because in, in the last two years alone, he has he has appeared in 138 games combined. 2017, he was he appeared in 63 games. Last year, that number went up to 75. So. My concern is again. It goes back to the earlier point that I made. Was 
bone being able to manage the bullpen accordingly so that you're not overusing guys and then they can, you can maintain their level of effectiveness, especially entering the, the late stages of the season. And I think for, for Adovino, it'll be interesting to see how he fares given that his home games will be at Yankee Stadium instead of at Coors Field. Now, I'm not concerned about the Coors Field effect. Given that, given that it was a factor before, but at the same time for for Adovino, this is a guy that that has shown the, uh, the ability to, um, to to be to be able to pitch well. The only concerns that I would have is 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 is, is, is his ability to be able to maintain his his level of effectiveness. Now, I want to give you an actual example. When I talk about his being able to maintain a level of effectiveness, for, for some reason, his numbers go up in, in August and September. And last season, his numbers in August went up, and his ERA went up to 4.61, September 4.26, which it's, it's amazing to me to even go even further, more deeper into it, is that pre-All-Star break, He's it's he's a one point six two, post All Star break three point five one, is a level of being fatigued come, come the come the middle or the late part of the season. I think so. This that could it, be it. It, it. it could it could be which which goes to show you why, which goes to show you why, his, him being able to be used and managed properly, will be so incredibly important, for the Yankees this upcoming season. Upcoming season. Now, to give a fun fact to you guys, the reason why he wears number zero is it's like a no for Ottavino. That, him and his dad picked off in uh, Little League. Our next guy, no other than Dellen Batanzas, a guy who's, like, for the past few years been, like, top 10 relief, I mean, reliever, a guy who always gives you 100 strikeouts per season as a reliever, has one of the best walk-to-ball uh, ratios, and there's there's no there's no other way. I I mean, there's no other way I can describe him. Shu? No, there is. There isn't any other way to really describe it. I mean, considering that this is the same the same guy who, in the last five years, is the only player in Major League history to accumulate at least 100 strikeouts in every single season, going back to 2014. And I expect more of the same for Patances. Patances is that key eighth inning guy because that's that's where he'll be. He's going to be in the eighth inning pre- predominantly this season. Um, I think that he will continue to to stay in the. I'm, I I think he will continue to stay in that role, and I think ultimately that Aaron Boone has to make sure that you have multiple, and I do mean multiple options in case of Patances can't go. Now, the thing that struck me about last season in particular, and there was a point where there was concern that Patances isn't the same reliever anymore, that I don't know what's going on, or his effectiveness has gone down, but here's a kicker. He, he pitched the six, six games with a, with, a two point, two, with a 2.0 ERA. Which is which is amazing enough considering the arms that we, that, that we had last season. And oh, by the way, 
he's shown that he can close that he can close out ball games, but not yeah. at the same, not, but not at the same effective level of, of Chapman. But he's shown that he can also be a closer as well. He has experience. He's not a full closer, but he can close for us as well. Exactly. Our next guy, Zach Britton. We brought him back. And, I mean, another good signing for the next three to four years by uh, Brian Cashman. A guy who has experiences in the American League East. Uh, was a closer for um, the, the Baltimore Orioles. And was brought over here for uh, prospect Dylan Tate in the trade deadline. What more can we say about Zach Britton? Sure. A power arm from the left side. <laughs> that's that's where that's where you could start. He's another guy out of the bullpen that that can that can throw that 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 can give you innings, and as well as his ability to his, his ability to be um to, to 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 throw heat. And he's got he's got the killer. He's got that that killer um on delivery, and, and the stuff is just absolutely amazing. And I think we talk about Zach Britton when he's healthy, and I and I do say when he's healthy, that he is a guy in which that shows that he can get the strikeout, that he that he can get guys guys out, especially as, as long as as long as he's effective. The only concern that I do have is this, and this and when I was looking over. Some of the notes earlier today uh, on Zach Britton, from la- from, especially from last season, there was something that concerned me, and I hope that he could figure this part out come this season, especially during spring training. Wesley, there, in, in the, when there's two outs, his ERA is 7.04. Yeah, that's, that's very alarming. I mean, that's, it's, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Ricky, anything to say about that? Well, you're also remembering that you're looking at a guy who did not participate in any major league uh, games until I believe it was the middle of June slash July. Yes. So when you are returning from an injury, especially a leg injury, not particularly do you train because you don't you don't have that regular month and a half like you normally would with spring training. So basically, the guy got a month in the minors, came back to the major leagues, and was still trying to get his feet underneath him in order to get back to his full potential. Now he's had the whole offseason. He's had that extra four or five months to prepare to actually come back into the regular season. Rest so, and recovery to add yes. on that. And now he's fully healthy. So you're gonna you're you're not getting that guy who's only pitched half a season Zach Britton last year. Now you're getting a full recovered Zach Britton in which you hope and pray that he'll have that put away stuff. Also for this, the, the Zach Britton signing, this is what I call the Chapman insurance policy. And that Chapman Absolutely. insurance policy. Let's talk about that for a real quick second. Shoe. Well, in terms of, in terms of insurance policy, because, because right now we know that, his shoulder has been a concern. It's been a concern um, since the end of last season. And I feel that if you are the Yankees, you made an absolutely very smart decision in signing a guy in which that has closer experience while he was with Baltimore. 
and it goes and it, and even and even then shows the ability that he can handle high leverage situations. And that's the thing that I feel that's that's going to serve him pretty well. Um, when you consider that the Yankees have three closers in the bullpen, they have Chapman, they have Patances, who has closer ex- experience, who by the way has 36 career saves, and and not to mention Zach Brenton. And I think ultimately, for 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 a guy that the Yankees now have for a full season, I'm in, I'm really intrigued and excited to see what he can do. Because then remember, last, not last, not last year, but 20, 2016, he was 47 for 47 in, in, um, in, in save opportunities. So, he, and then the year before, hello? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still okay. here. Sorry about that. While the year before, he was 36 for 40 in save opportunities. 2014, 37 of 41. So he, this is a guy that if Chapman were to go down, forbid, for any extended period of time, you have a guy who can also throw from the left side, who, who, who showed you that he's a, he's a pretty darn good closer. And on top is, of that, too, also, a lot of Yankee fans should not complain about that. If you're listening to this podcast, please listen to the alarming rates that our friend Ricky likes to bring in. Because to and honestly it, tell it, you, a closer that does not give up the long ball – that that is a huge key, a huge relief pitcher coming out of your pen that's got shutdown stuff. And this, here's another thing I, w- I also want to add. And you mentioned and you mentioned a, a stat that that really caught my eye, but I also want to counter that with this following point. Going back to when I I'm not going to include 2018 because 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 he was not healthy, he was coming back from injury. But coming going back to since the end of 20, 2014. He's only given up five home runs. 20, 2015, he gave up three the entire season. We had 36 saves with an ERA of 1.92. 2016, he gave up only one home run, and that was the year that he was, that he was perfect. 47 saves and 47 opportunities. And in 2017, he only gave up one home run that entire season, in which that he, 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 had, he had 15 saves as well. So this guy has shown... That he has the capability of keeping the keeping the ball in the ballpark, especially in the ninth, where we all know the last three outs in a ball game are the most difficult to get in Major League Baseball. Yep. And now on to our guy. It's Cold War in the ninth inning. Hold on, I think I got that button. Hold on, hold on. It's faint, but we can fix it. <laughs> a Roldish Chapman or closer? What can I say? For the past uh, few seasons, actually four. Yeah, yeah. Our past, well, it's going to be our past three seasons. Chapman has been our most consistent closer, b- despite a few fuck ups. But when you need him to close, he does the job. One of the best closers in the game. I mean. World Series champion with the Cubs in that trade that benefited us, but he did come back, and he shows us in the playoffs that he can do the job. Sure. I mean, he he's shown that he has been able to do the job and do the job very well in the, in the last several years, even going back to when he was in uh, in Cincinnati. 
And a thing that I, I find really, really intriguing about Chapman is that is that what can we realistically expect of him this season? I think I think he'll do great things again. Um, last last season, wow, last season. When you look at his overall numbers, I couldn't help but be impressed. Even even with the save opportunity he's had. He had 34 safe opportunities and converted 32 of them. And with the ERA of 2.45, that's almost Mariano Rivera-esque, if you really think about it. And think about it, and you, you compare like, the numbers side by side almost. But with that being said, I feel that I feel that a guy like Chapman for this year, I think it's safe to say that you, he'll, not, he'll lock down another 30, 31 saves this season. And while, but as long as he's healthy, that's going to be the key. Is that shoulder going to hold up and continue and be healthy? Where he's where he's still able to get guys out in the ninth inning, especially in high leverage situations. You you do say um, his um, shoulder, which has been an issue for like the past few years of his career. I mean, considering a guy who's uh, throwing a weighted ball before he picks up a baseball, very buff. Uh, as Ricky mentioned earlier, as far as guys who like to build muscle, I mean, with him, it's really not a problem to throw 100 miles per hour because you're a reliever and you are a closer, so you're only pitching for one inning. But as Ricky also mentioned, and I have mentioned too, that there's an insurance policy when you have Britain and Adovino. So let's say he's healthy and all that stuff. Do you kind of like shorten his workload a bit because you have Ottavino and Britton who are two notable closers in the team now, but they are his setup men along with um, Dallin Batances? Do you put uh, spot closers for um, Aroldis Chapman to preserve him? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the point that I have with, and a lot of managers do this these days, is that closers pitch when they really, really shouldn't be pitching. If you have an eight-run lead going into the ninth inning, why is your closer going out? If he hasn't worked, fine. I understand that. But when you have a bullpen, the way it's set up for the Yankees right now, especially having somebody like a Patances, like a Britton, an Ottavino, they're the ones who should be closing out the game if you have more than a four-run lead. Yeah, it is true. I mean, it, it makes no sense. Like you said, if you got a 17-0 lead or 17-2, or like if you got a, a lead that really doesn't need a save situation, you can either bring out your relievers or try to keep your pitcher, if he's pitching well, if he's pitching well, pitch a complete game. Shoe? Here's an interesting part. That's the beauty of having three closers in the road in the close and in, in the bullpen we have three closers in the bullpen you don't have to rely on chapman say chapman pitching back to back games you can give a close a, a closer opportunity to a guy like Brent or batances and that's the that's the advantage that i feel the yankees have that that basically all the other teams don't necessarily have like i just think that the Yankees have an embarrassment of riches in the bullpen, and that's what's going to separate them from the rest of the league. Now, when was the last time that we, that the Yankees or even any team on paper has, has had this type of bullpen? And I and and sorry, Ricky, I'm I'm going to have to do this, but 
It was the 2015 Kansas City Royals. Remember the the bullpen that killer bullpen that they had with Kel with Kelvin Herrera, with 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 Wade Davis and Greg Holland when he was healthy. That uh, was then, a lot. But then again, right. if you really if you really wanted to track the history on that, go back to the early bullpens when they had John Wetland and Rivera oh, yes. setting up for him, and 96. all of the ways that they pieced together the the, the five innings. One pitcher, uh, actually the six innings for the starters. Yes. Uh, seventh inning relief, eighth inning relief, shutdown, done. That's how yes. it was done back in the day, and this is when starting pitchers weren't babied. And don't and don't forget, and don't forget, the Yankees also had guys like Graham Lloyd, Max, Mike Stanton, and in their bullpen during those formidable years as well. And Jimmy like, Key too. And, and, and Jimmy Jimmy Key was a was a fifth starter on, for ni- in '96. Oh, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, but unfortunately, he he left to go to Baltimore the following year. Wait, who am I thinking of? Not Jimmy Key. Uh, Jeff Nelson. Jeff Nelson. Yes. Yes. So I mean, if you ever if you ever got if you ever set up like that, and again, you look at Chapman from from oh that's the postseason. Give me a second here. If you look at his regular season numbers, there were games where he should have not been in. You're in a closer's role. You, okay, thirty four save chances, but fifty five games. Year before, 26 save chances, 52 games. These are extra games that you're bringing Chapman in that you're burning him. Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati did it. Chicago did it. And now the Yankees are doing it. So you're bringing him in for opportunities. He does not need to be in there. So if you're Aaron Boone, I mean, it's like I said in the first episode. Cut the workload a bit. Give, you know, Ottavino, Britain, or maybe... Batances, or maybe your lesser guys go in and just close that game out when your closers don't really need to close the game. And if you're if you're Boone, I mean, you have a lot of options. This is like walking into a buffet. You you have your options. You want to pick up a steak. You want some rice. You want some, that's what Aaron Boone has. Final statements. For the Yankees in 2019, if they are going to have success in, in pursuing the 28th World Series title, ultimately the number one factor for this Yankee team is going to be the pitching. I'm not concerned about the offense at all. I'm more concerned about the overall effectiveness of the pitching staff, starting and bullpen. Health is going to be absolutely key. If they are to have any type of sustainable success in winning the division or not having to go through the wild card round again, I think the, the starting pitching has got to do their job, and it starts especially early in the season, going deep into ball games, not having to tax that great bullpen and being able to have that as a strength, and so forth. My my only suggestion is is that, uh, granted, yes, you start off the the regular season that you're you're not going to run your starters first off. You're not going to run them seven, eight, nine innings. Uh, you're going to ease them into a major league season because you're not pitching against minor leaguers. You're pitching against major leaguers. It's conservative use of the starting rotation, conservative use of the bullpen. Do not overwork your play, overwork that bullpen early. Otherwise, you're going to burn them out by June, and then that's going to force your starters to go deep into games. I mean, Ricky and Shu just said it best. I mean, if you guys can, pres- if the rotation can hold up well, be healthy and you know, the bullpen doesn't get overworked and no one gets overworked, then you see a deep run with this team. I think this is a much better rotation than last year as of now, and a preliminary grade I would give it is a B. 
The the bullpen, I give it a preliminary grade of A minus on paper. We have yet to see what they're gonna do this year. I mean spring training, you know, that's the kinks, but we really can't tell until the regular season. That being said, guys, I, Shu, and Ricky, my su- uh, Ricky, are going to go. Episode 4 will be recorded next week, which will be the 10-year uh, World Series drought. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And also, I would like to mention that I will be at the games March 30th and 31st. So if you love this podcast, give me a shout. Give us a shout. Give us feedback, like our uh, pages, and stay tuned. And also, stay tuned for the next episode of um, Ricky's podcast, Pain Train Pipe Bomb, which is pretty outstanding. That being said, let's go Yankees. This was another episode of 161 Murderer's Row Pod. Thank you for joining us. Please join us once again with your hosts, Shukri Wrights and Wesley Segundo. This show was produced by Ricky Lewinkowicz of Pain Train Pipe Bomb. Please join us once again for another episode of 161 Murderer's Row Pod. See ya!